Hi guys, it's Shawnee and welcome back to Lola's Scotland podcast. How have you all been? How have you been? I feel like I've not actually recorded in a while. I've done a few live shows on the Podbean app, so if you haven't downloaded that already, download it because then you can come on, you can listen to me live, we can talk, there's a call-in feature, so why not give me a phone up on that and we can chat about an episode or two, you know, like we can talk murder, we can talk crime. It's completely free as well. So today I want to talk like a little bit folklore, but then also maybe not, maybe, maybe truth. Or does all folklore come from truth? Like, will we get all psychological on this? Who knows? It's completely your opinion. I do believe that everything must have came from something, you know? Like, it must have started somewhere, you know? So, this little bit of tidbit folklore that we've got is in honour of spooky season, or pre-spooky season as I like to call it, because we're in September. Next month is October, my favourite month of the whole year. Why? Because my favourite holiday is in October, which is Halloween. And then directly after that is November, which on the 5th of November, if you're from the UK, you know, is Guy Fawkes Night. Remember, remember the 5th of November. That is coming up. That is also one of my favourites because I just love fireworks so much and enjoy the cold, right? I know that sounds like so, I don't know, cliche or whatever because I come from Scotland But see, when you get a day or a night that's dry, there's like not a lot of wind or or a breeze or anything, but it's bitter cold, like it's cold, you walk outside and you take a deep breath and it's like the most refreshing thing in the whole world is that crisp, cold, wintry breath. Oh! It's my favourite thing in the whole world. Like, I 100% love that more than sun. Um, I don't do well in sun. I'm I'm from Scotland, in case you didn't notice. I burn. I go on holiday, and I'm the person that's, like, walking down the street, and everyone points at them and laughs, because I'm bright red. <laughs> I look like a dipstick lolly. Like, if anyone doesn't know what that is, Google it, because... You need to see you need to see that. That's what I look like when I go on holiday. I'm like half white, half bright red lobster and it it just looks absolutely ridiculous because I'm just so peely wally. I'm just pale, guys. I'm just I'm just Scottish. One step below being pure Scottish is me because like pure Scottish is ginger and pale and burns, but I'm not ginger, but I mean I I might as well be with the skin that I have. <laughs> I'm like see-through. It's horrendous. Fake tan just makes me look like a normal white human being. That's how bad it is. So, you know. Anyway, enough rambling for today because that's like five minutes in already and we're we're not even at the best part yet. We need to dive into this little tidbit of folklore. And if you've been in any of my lives over the last week, then you've already heard a little bit about this because when I was in a live, someone had asked me for something like spooky, a wee um, taster into something that I would be doing over the spooky season and therefore you already know that we're going to be talking about cannibals. Dun, dun, dun. I just feel like there should have been 
some kind of spooky music there. And let's be honest, I'm going to be way too lazy to go back and edit that in, so enjoy. Okay, so, Folklore Scotland. We like to tell a tale or two. We like to be inventive with the truth, especially when it comes to children as well, because, you know, we like to make sure that our children are behaving and we're not really afraid to use any means necessary in storytelling to get children to behave. The go-to for any Scottish mum throughout time has been a scary story to get your child to behave. One of these scary stories that were meant to scare children into behaving was the story of two separate cannibals in Scotland. And we're going to dive straight into the first one, which is known to be the oldest of both of the legends slash folklore slash possible truth, but has just been edited into a storytime version to scare your children into behaving, you know? So, first guy we're going to talk about is called Christy Cleek. Now, Christy Cleek was a mythical Scottish cannibal who lived during a time of great famine in the mid-14th century. According to this folklore, his real name was Andrew Christie. He was a Perth butcher and during a severe famine, he joined groups of scavengers to go seek food up in the Grampian Mountains. When one of the scavengers died, Christie put his skills as a butcher to good work, soon fed himself and the other survivors on the corpse of this poor unfortunate guy. But I mean, at this point, at least they didn't kill him, I suppose, if you're wanting a bright side for this kid's story. But yeah, they did eat him, so yeah, first first red flag. This caused the group to get a taste for human flesh, and under Christie's leadership, they began a bloody rampage similar to that of the Bean Clan, which we will talk about next. Christie earned the name Cleek, titled during these dark times for his method of capturing his victims via a hook on a rope. Many of the 30 or so victims allegedly were personally murdered by Cleek. What they done was, they would ambush travellers in the passes of the Grampians, feeding on their bodies and that of their horses. It was alleged that before attacking, Christie would haul his victims from their mouths with a large hook on a rod. This would have been like a big iron hook, probably used for things like fishing and stuff like that. And I can see how this like method would be terrifying as a child, thinking about yourself getting yanked by a massive hook from your mouth. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's quite crazy. And obviously they would be riding on horses at the time as well. So that would have done some damage if you think about how fast a horse can go. That would be some impact for sure. Eventually, armed forces from Perth marched to the Grampians to defeat the cannibals and all of them were captured and presumably executed. However, it is said that Christie managed to escape capture and became the sole survivor of the cannibal clan, and allegedly re-entered society under a new guise, never facing punishment for his crimes, and never being discovered. So that's where the the bit came in from your mum. 
people would be like, no one knows where he went to this day. He could be anywhere. He could still be alive. You don't know what happens to someone when they eat humans. He's probably just in a cave somewhere, waiting for an unsuspected little boy that's misbehaving, walking past so they can reach out and grab him. You get me? Like, who does that to their children? But we apparently do in Scotland. And I'm not going to lie, a hundred percent will be carrying on the tradition. <laughs> not going to lie. This folklore seems to be older than the tale of Swanee Bean, which we'll go on to talk about in a wee second, which is far more well-known and more notorious than Christy Cleek. Christy Cleek is one that, personally, I didn't know about. The name seemed familiar, but it wasn't like I could tell you the story fully of Christy Cleek before doing research, but... I think I definitely recognise the name. The tale of Swanee Bean family didn't appear before the 18th century, whereas Christie's tale is documented from the 15th century onwards. And obviously Christie had allegedly been from the 14th century, so the earliest recorded we have of it is in a century later. And then in the 18th century, Swanee Bean appears and this folklore legend begins around about that time. Swanee Bean is believed to have been born in East Lothian in the late 15th century and was a tanner by trade. The newlywed Mr and Mrs Swanee Bean set up home in Ayrshire in Brennan Cave and it was said to have like loads of tunnels penetrating deep into the rock and extended for more than a mile in length, while loads of side passages came from their, the main entrance of the cave. So this was like a, a massive kind of underground network that these guys were living in, in a cave. And obviously, yes, this was way back in the day, so of course, but it's just crazy to think that somebody just like set up home in a cave, isn't it? Anyway... The issue with this cave was, though, that it was flooded for several metres twice a day at high tide. So for the family to get in and out the cave, they could only really do that when it was low tide. But also, it was kind of like a built-in draft excluder slash front door where no one's getting into your house when there's high tide twice a day. So you're getting a bit of peace and quiet, aren't you? Swanee lacking a trade decided that his plan to support his new wife and growing family would come from the proceeds of robbing people. It proved pretty simple enough for Swanee to ambush travellers along the narrow roads that connected the villages of the area. Then it pretty much dawned on him that in order to help make sure that he could never be identified for his crimes, he should murder his victims. To avoid unnecessary visits to the shops for provisions whilst at the same time disposing of evidence, he came on the bright idea of butchering the bodies to provide a high-protein diet of human meat for himself and his wife and his family. The high-protein diet seemed to have been effective as Mrs Bean began to produce little baby beans. Fourteen little 
beanie babies in total, each of them with a very unhealthy appetite for human flesh. As the beanie babies grew up, I can't say that like without laughing, I'm sorry. Oh, right, start again. As the beanie babies grew up and in turn through incest produced beanie babies of their own, their cooking pots increased in size dramatically. Over two decades, generation of beanie babies grew up in the cave, refining their skills of murder and cannibal cuisine, including and now the lost art of salting and pickling the flesh. Oh my god. As a vegetarian, this gives me like major, major creepy vibes. I mean, of course, it's major creepy vibes anyway, but you know what I mean? Like, that's just disgusting. Salting and pickling flesh. Like, even if you're talking about doing that to like a pig or something, I'm. Ugh. Nama. <laughs> no. People start finding things lying about the area, washed up on beaches quite close to the area that the family are living in. Guys, people are finding, like, parts of bodies, decaying body parts, parts that have obviously been in the water for a long time. Also, on top of that, remember that this is just a legend, a story? I I mean, I kind of believe it has to come from somewhere, you know what I mean? Like, there must have been something that started this. Legend, myth whatever you want to call it but yeah like we're telling our kids these stories like why are we so fucked up i don't know it's funny though anyway so local authorities had obviously by now established that something was going on and they like produced a list of the missing people because obviously like this massive family for like generations have been killing people and you're gonna have people that are missing you know so obviously people are going missing left right and center so this is pretty much like the longest list of missing people ever produced allegedly if it was based on some kind of fact it would be like the longest missing person case ever basically fun fact but allegedly because folklore, mysteries, don't know, possibly based on truth, possibly not. So mass searches were conducted of this area and carried out to locate either the missing people or their murderers. Nobody ever thought to search in the depths of this cave and its massive tunnel network. Obviously, a lot of people didn't even know about the tunnel network, so... That ain't happening either. As the years went by, the family grew older and thanks to their high-protein diet, they got big, 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 big. And as the family grew, so did their appetite. As many as half a dozen victims would be ambushed and killed at the time in military-style operations by the Swanee Bean family. The bodies were taken back to the cave and then carefully prepared for the larder by the women. Even in the best planned operations, things sometimes go wrong. It happened one evening for the Swanee Bean family when they were attacking a man and his wife as they were returning home from a nearby fair. One group pulled the woman from her horse and had her stripped and disemboweled before the other group had the chance to even wrestle the man to the ground. 
Realising the fate that was about to follow him, he fought desperately to escape, driving his horse into and over his attackers. As he fought for his life, a group of 20 or so people returning from the fair happened upon the scene. After a brief violent exchange, the Swanee Bean family found itself for the first time ever at a disadvantage numbers-wise because they were outnumbered. They promptly retreated back to the cave to consider the situation, regroup, and as they retreated, they left behind the mutilated body of one, like the woman that they had killed, and this is obviously evidence. A whole bunch of witnesses and a very angry husband that's just lost his wife. Not ideal when they're trying to be going under the radar and stuff. The husband was taken before the chief magistrate of Glasgow, who after hearing the tale put this together with the long missing persons list that was kicking about at the time and many reports of the mysterious body parts that have been found in and around the area and decided to take the matter straight to the top, which at the time was King James I. King James promptly arrived in Ayrshire with a small army of 400 men and a pack of tracker dogs, and together with a band of local volunteers launched one of the biggest manhunts the country had ever seen. Like before, the search extended through Ayrshire countryside coastline, and like before, nothing was discovered. However, until one of the dogs picked up the scent of a decaying human flesh. Whilst passing a waterlogged cave, the manhunt was closing in at this point. By torchlight, the troops entered the cave with their swords drawn. They proceeded down the mile-long twisting passages into the inner depths of the cave where we know Swanee Bean family are living. Nothing could have prepared them for the sight that they witnessed that day, the damp walls of the cave were strewn with row upon row of human limbs and body parts like meat hanging from a butcher's shop. Other areas of the cave stored bundles of clothes, piles of watches, rings and heaps of discarded bones from previous feasts. After a brief fight, the Swanee Bean family, all 48 of them at this time, were arrested and marched off to Edinburgh by the king himself. Their crimes were considered to be so heinous that the normal justice system, which, by the way, at that time, we were quite renowned for how like good our justice system is, or was, is was. This justice system was abandoned and the entire family were sentenced to death. The following day, 27 men of the family met the fate similar to many of their victims having their legs and arms cut off and being left to slowly bleed to death, watched by their women. 21 women were burned like witches in huge fires. And so, the ballad of Swanee Bean records their end. They hung them high in Edinburgh Toon and likewise their kin, and the wind blows could all their bones into hell they he again. Man, that's even difficult for me to say, to be honest. Reading Scottish is hard, I'm not going to lie. But basically what that translates to is that they hanged them in Edinburgh, all the, the whole family, and the wind blows on all their bones, and back they go to hell again, basically. So, even though the tale of Swanee Bean, the myth, the legend, the folklore, is an 
loads of notable publications. It's recorded throughout history as being one of this notorious, infamous family and it's recorded loads of places. Actual factual documentation is pretty lacking to validate the events that happened. But there is obviously a lot of information and that's why we have like such an in-depth story about it. But we have no proof that 110% this ever happened. But to have a story in so in-depth from so long ago... Now remember this is allegedly supposed to have happened in the 15th century. A century after Christy Cleek. But at the same time, there was no recordings of it for three centuries later in the 18th century, apparently. Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's funny that, I mean, this post, these two stories of cannibalism in Scotland may or may not have happened, okay? May or may not have happened. Regardless of that, these are stories that we tell our children and we have done for centuries in Scotland. Is there something wrong with us? I don't know. <laughs> I think it's hilarious. Now, if talking about stories that we tell our kids, okay, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but when I was growing up, I used to despise getting my hair brushed. I hated it. I had really long, really thick, really coarse, really curly hair. I hated getting my hair brushed because it was always painful because I had such thick hair. I remember people saying to me and my family when they were trying to like brush my hair and stuff that Maggie Murphy would come and get me and take me away if I didn't sit down and get my hair brushed. Maggie Murphy is what a lot of Glaswegians use as an example to children to behave because Maggie Murphy is the devil. Maggie Murphy was like the boogeyman. She was the devil. She was the the one that comes and takes bad kids away or kids that aren't eating their vegetables or whatever, like white lies that parents tell their children, you know? So basically the inspiration for Maggie Murphy was I believe a children's home. I'm not 100% sure, but I believe there was like a children's home in Glasgow and there was possibly a woman called Maggie Murphy that ran it or was involved in it. I think there was maybe some bad treatment on behalf of the children. She maybe, well, it's not like maybe. She would have definitely hurt them because back then, like way back in the day, kids got smacked all the time. I mean, even when I was younger, you got a smack around the head if you'd done something bad. A lot of people around the world, if they listened to this episode, would decide right now, here and now, that the majority of Scotland is fucked up and this is abuse in itself to their children telling them stories like this but you know it's just part of our heritage we are morbid people we live in the wet in the cold in the wind all year round give us a break that's all i'm saying defending my country right now but yeah so that's pretty much the story of folklore legends that we tell our children to get them to behave cannibals and the devil maggie murphy so you know what to do just eat your vegetables and then the cannibals won't come get you and maggie murphy will leave you alone 
And next time your kids misbehaving, just you remember this story. It may work. I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, guys, that's pretty much all I've got for you today. So, as always, follow me on Instagram and Twitter. There's a Facebook there, but I never use it. But the episodes get posted there. And maybe if you guys start using it, I'll use it. Flawless Scotland, everywhere you look for social media. Leave me a review if you feel so inclined and all that jazz. And I'll catch you on the next one. So, thanks, guys and get ready for international series which will be recorded this week and put out to you very soon so look forward to that catch me on Podbean live i will post on instagram and twitter when i am going live there so keep your eyes opened and come and join me Podbean app bye bye